For the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Lindsey Jones, who covers the NFL for The Athletic, about Super Bowl 56 from SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. We've got boots on the ground. Lindsey's down at Radio Row. We'll talk to her from the site of Super Bowl 56 between the Bengals and the Rams about who has the edge in this one, some of the hot storylines, both offensively and defensively, and Roger Goodell's meeting with the media on Thursday afternoon. All... And Roger Goodell's meeting with the media on Wednesday afternoon. All topics we'll cover with Lindsey Jones, who joins me next. Today is Friday, February 11th. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the update, Lindsey Jones. She comes to us this time from Radio Row. I'm looking at you on a Zoom call from Radio Row down at SoFi Stadium, or near SoFi Stadium, I should say. Lindsey, what's going on? How's it feeling down there this year? It kind of feels like a normal Super Bowl, which is weird. I went to the Super Bowl last year in Tampa. And I went to the Radio Row space, and it was a ghost town. It was literally like four tables, a couple people sitting solo, but there was none of this. You guys can't see it behind me necessarily, but it's, you know, you've probably seen it if you watch NFL Network or ESPN or whatever. I mean, it's, you know, there's celebrities walking by. You know, you, you catch a glimpse of lots of retired football players. Hopefully at some point today there'll be some, like, L.A. LA celebrities coming through. But it feels like a real Super Bowl for once. It's nice. Yeah, pretty cool, and, and for the second year in a row now, a team gets to host the Super Bowl. I do want to get into some of the football stuff and, and Super Bowl stuff for this weekend, uh, but before we do that, i, I got to ask you about one of the other big things that happens at Radio Row Week, and that's Roger Goodell doing his yearly or his annual meeting with the media. Obviously, a big topic of discussion this year is the minority hiring of general managers and head coaches. Uh, Jim Trotter had a great question that, that fleshed out, I think, a lot of the issues, and coming from NFL media was obviously a big deal. You had a big piece on it in The Athletic. Uh, tell us what, what your response was to that or, or how you received and thought of the comments of Roger Goodell yesterday? He does this press cons every year, like you said, and every year there's always kind of something, right? There's like some sort of controversy or drama. I remember, you know, a few years ago, it was all about officiating, you know, the officiating crisis in the NFL. There was the year with the domestic violence crisis. That was the 2014 season when they kind of redid their domestic violence policy in the middle of the season. That was the most contentious press conference that I can kind of remember since I've been doing this until yesterday where he was really grilled. There was not a single football question. There was nothing about, I mean, other than one question about Los Angeles, there was nothing about the Rams, nothing about the Bengals. Nothing about officiating, nothing about, you know, Tom Brady retiring. I mean, we didn't even ask about Deshaun Watson. You know, I mean, there was literally nothing like about players or football because it was so much focused on these two major controversies really that are going on in the NFL right now. You know, the crisis with their minority hiring, the fact that another hiring cycle has been complete with you know, no difference in the number of minority head coaches. We didn't see significant change. There are now seven black general managers, which is an improvement. You know, we're seeing more diversity at that level in the front office. And there's some hope that, you know, the people who are now making the decisions, if there are more diverse people in those roles, eventually it will lead to more diversity across these organizations. We just haven't seen that yet. What was notable to me and what Dan Kaplan and I wrote about yesterday is that really for the first time, Roger Goodell has opened the door to a complete overhaul of the league's hiring process, which you know could include the removal of the Rooney Rule, which the Rooney Rule has really been kind of like something the NFL has taken a ton of pride in. You know, it's kind of they've been like the gold standard of a way to do business. This wasn't about it was a way to ensure that minority candidates were getting in front of decision makers. It's been tweaked and expanded over the years, but what 
we've seen is that it hasn't really changed the outcomes at all. And the NFL officials will always say for years, like, well, it's just cyclical, right? I mean, there's some years where there's five, six, seven minority head coaches, and then there'll be years where there's two or three, and it's just cyclical, and teams do what they want, and they hire, and who's winning and who's losing. But what we're seeing is over time, not a significant um, change in the diversity of, specifically in head coaching positions. So that's going to be the really important thing to watch over the next couple of months when the competition committee is meeting. All of the NFL owners meetings that will be happening in March and in May and the diversity subcommittees, all of those groups. What are they doing? Roger Goodell has said that they're going to bring in external experts to kind of go through every part of their process and tell them what they're doing wrong, what they're doing right, and make recommendations. If they end up removing the Rooney rule and replacing it with something else, that would be massive. Um, it would be, you know, a huge change. And, you know, really a lot of this is spurred on not just by the results that we saw, the number of coaches and who was hired in the this, in this cycle, but by the Brian Flores lawsuit that really kind of like laid bare the things that black coaches talk about amongst themselves in private and with each other and, you know, kind of off the record conversations. He laid it all out there. He just said, this is what our lived experience is. And it's really forced the NFL and, and Roger Goodell to um, accept it and deal with it. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. As far as the lawsuit goes, uh, comes out in Brian Flores' favor, it's going to be a tough thing to prove, I think, in general. And it's, it's obviously different cases he's spoken about with his different experiences with three different organizations. I am wondering from his perspective or from the, a league perspective, he's a guy who's respected as a coach. He clearly changed the culture in Miami, back-to-back winning seasons for the first time with, for them in like 15 years or 20 years or something. So he'd clearly done something right. Do you think that this is going to, and, and it's it'll be, I don't know if it's a smoking gun if this does happen, but do you think this is going to prevent him from taking another job even if it's not a head coach the guy warrants a defensive coordinator or inside linebacker position like he had prior to being a head coach yeah and this is something that I wrote about last week because he's well aware of that fact and it was really interesting that he went ahead and filed this lawsuit and you know is making it potentially a class action lawsuit he's hoping that other people join him it's been kind of interesting that it's been a week and nobody else has signed on I think there's some black assistant coaches former head coaches who are interested in joining, but there is such tremendous personal risk to do something like that. And Brian Flores has taken that on himself. You know, he's spoken a lot about he's doing this for the guys who are on his staff in Miami, the assistant coaches he was with a lot of other places who haven't gotten those opportunities that he's almost willing to kind of sacrifice his future job prospects. It was interesting that he filed the suit while he was still a head candidate for two jobs um, in Houston and New Orleans. Those jobs went to Lovey Smith, who was the internal candidate in Houston, who was not interviewed until February 6th, which was odd timing-wise after Flores' lawsuit. Um, and then in New Orleans, which ended up going to Dennis Allen, who was basically the internal candidate who was you know, endorsed by Sean Payton, had been a longtime you know, Saints assistant, a former head coach in Oakland. Dennis Allen is another guy who is getting a second job. And those second opportunities are very rare for minority head coaches. The number of guys who have gotten those second jobs are it just doesn't happen very often. Lovey Smith, who got that job in Houston, this is actually his third job. You know, he was he was head coach for two years in Tampa Bay, which somehow kind of forgotten a little bit because it was kind of a um, unceremonious tenure there. So it was his third job. But it's very, very rare. I mean, we saw Josh McDaniels get another job. He's back with the Raiders. Dennis Allen has gotten another job. I mean, Mike McCarthy. I mean, Dan Quinn got, what, six interviews. I mean, he was kind of the hot candidate until he probably would have gotten a job if he would have stayed in some of these job uh, searches that he pulled himself out of. 
So, you know, I think he's kind of realizing this is what's possible for him. There are still some of these new staffs that are putting together, you know, their coordinator positions. So we'll see if he ends up getting a job or maybe he takes a year out of football to focus on some of these legal challenges. Or, you know, maybe he now becomes a guy who's working with the Fritz Pollard Alliance or he's working with some of these organizations to come up with solutions. You know, in, in that lawsuit that he's filed, it was 58 pages, it wasn't just laying out allegations, which, of which there were many. I mean, and one of the things that Roger Goodell was asked about yesterday was the allegations that Stephen Ross was trying to pay him to tank. That was also in there and is a very serious allegation. But also in that 58-page document was some suggestions of how, we can, how the NFL can improve its hiring process. So I don't expect this will ever get to, like, court. You know, the NFL would obviously like to move this to arbitration. The NFL settles everything. They don't want this to get to a discovery stage where Bill Belichick will be subpoenaed, any of that sort of stuff. <laughs> but ultimately, if, yeah. if this can be the catalyst for a better process, then I think Brian Flores will consider that a win. Boy, can you imagine Bill Belichick being deposed? I mean, we're, we're on to the next like question. publicly deposed. I mean, yeah. that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Having him answer it as if it were a press conference that would be a, a totally different beast. Let's get into a little bit of the football on Sunday. Is there a storyline or a topic that you're following or that excites you the most? Is it Matt Stafford seeing that he's this great quarterback and we're getting to see him do it on the big stage? Is it Joe Burrow, national champ, number one pick? crazy injury to, to the top of the uh, the food chain in the AFC. It's the great young quarterbacks. Uh, what's your thought on the best storyline going in this one? Yes, all of the all of those things. I'm into all of yes. them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, when we look at like the matchup and our beat writers at The Athletic have done such a good job this week of kind of documenting how these two teams got here because they really couldn't be more different, right? I mean, the Bengals are a team who were very, very bad. They lucked into a generational quarterback in Joe Burrow. They kind of spent wisely in free agency. It's not like they were going out and making like crazy moves. They did have to spend to get players like Trey Hendrickson and DJ Reader. But they were also, you know, they spent nicely like to reinforce their cornerback depth and stuff. But this is really like a Joe Burrow led. You you draft, you develop, you get the the great young quarterback and it works. This is what Detroit never was. You know, they had the number one overall pick quarterback in Matthew Stafford and they could never kind of turn it around quickly. How many teams cannot do that? You know, the Browns have had the number one overall pick year after year after year and have never done it. And, you know, the Bengals have really kind of, I don't want to say overperformed, but I don't think anybody expected they were going to be here, that their turnaround would be this quick, given what Joe Burrow, kind of just where he was in his development, the injury that he had last year. And then you look at the Rams, where they're a team that was like, we're just going to go gambling. We're going to put all our chips in. We're going to get every free agent possible that we can. We're going to pull off these massive trades. We're going to give up all of our first round picks to build this team into a Super Bowl contender. So the way that they got here really couldn't be more different. The quarterbacks, as you mentioned, are so incredibly compelling. I mean, Joe Burrow is like the most likable dude that I've seen kind of come to the NFL a really long time. I mean, even more than like, you know, Patrick Mahomes, whatever. I mean, there's just something so like earnest about Joe Burrow. And then he's so freaking fun to watch. I mean, there's, he has just got that like end of the game. You want the ball in his hands. He He's kind of got some magic to him, and he did it at LSU. He's obviously done it very quickly here. I think from a quarterback matchup, this is really nice, considering that, you know, we've had kind of some of, like, the greatest on this stage. You know, we don't have Tom Brady. We have a lot of Tom Brady Super Bowls, but we don't have Tom Brady here right now. You know, we don't have Patrick Mahomes coming off of an MVP season. So it's kind of, it's kind of refreshing when you have, like, new faces, new storylines, 
And then, you know, I just think there's some awesome defensive guys. I mean, Aaron Donald is probably my favorite player to watch. I don't think I'm alone in that. I mean, I on the athletic football show, Robert likes to make fun of me a lot because I <laughs> will focus my binoculars on Aaron Donald anytime I'm out of How Rams can you game. not? How can't you? Right. I mean, look, and, and at SoFi Stadium, they have that giant, I think it's called like the Oculus. Like the, it's like the ring where you can see everything and like, Instead of sitting there looking at, like, the biggest and coolest video board you've ever seen, I'm with my, like, little binoculars, like, looking at the interior <laughs> of the defensive line because I'm a huge nerd. But, you know, legacy-wise, there's just so much here for Aaron Donald. You know, there's nothing left for him to accomplish besides winning a Super Bowl. And there's a lot of guys that – I mean, basically all of them, all 52 other guys on the Rams' active roster are like, yeah, let's go freaking win this for Aaron Donald. So, yeah, I guess those are a couple of the things I'm most excited to watch this week. And I'm with you about Joe Burrow. It's like he's super cool and has swag without being super cool and having swag, which makes him even more likable and even more cool. He's like the everyman oh. superstar quarterback, right? He really is. <laughs> he puts his stuff on, and I'm like, what are you wearing? But, like, he pulls it off. He, like, makes it cool. I don't know. Good for him, right? One more thought for you. I know you are just talking defense. Uh, also with the Rams that acquired this year, I know you spent time around the Broncos organization. Von Miller, kind of cool to see him back in a Super Bowl, a former Super Bowl MVP. Yeah. He's had an incredible back end of the season, a great postseason. People in Denver, I think, either thought he was hurt or maybe detached. And then he had these comments the other day about, you know, I would have liked to stay in Denver. I would have liked to remain a Bronco, but it's pretty yeah. cool that he's back here. Just your thoughts on Von Miller in this stage of his career. Yeah, and so I'll plug. Um, I wrote a story about Von Miller that is going to publish Friday on The Athletic. It's not completely a Von Miller story. He's kind of a character in that story, but it's a very Denver kind of centric story because I can't really write anything. <laughs> I can write other stuff, <laughs> but if I can find a way to like link it back to my like immense institutional knowledge with the Broncos and that era of team, I will. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't necessarily that. I mean, he did get hurt uh, earlier this season in Denver. He was dealing with an uh, I believe it was an ankle or a hamstring. He just wasn't quite the same. And he got hurt in the game against Cleveland. It was a Thursday night game. And then he got traded basically right after that. And so there was a little bit of question of, like, is he ready? Does he have to pass the physical? Is he going to get in? I spoke with him on the phone last week. We had a really kind of wide-ranging, nice conversation. And we, we talked a bit about kind of his, his end in Denver. And it was hard. I mean, he watched all of his peers, his friends from those really great Broncos teams from the 2015 Super Bowl team. And, you know, even, you know, a little bit before that and a little bit after almost all of them either got traded or cut. Akib Talib got traded. DeMarcus Ware retired. Chris Harris left in free agency. Demarius Thomas was traded. Emmanuel Sanders was traded. So he was at the point in that he was the only like bridge left to kind of the, the previous era of the Broncos. It was him and Brandon, McMan Brandon McManus, the kicker. So he was the only, you know, offensive or defensive player left. And, you know, he was really open in saying it was just like, he's like, it wasn't anybody's fault, but like my time there had just run its course. He's like, as much as I was trying to be a motivational leader and speak up and motivate guys and tell them what we needed to do. And no matter how hard I played, it just wasn't, it just wasn't working anymore. And he's really like feels reborn in LA. And it's been pretty remarkable to me to see how quickly he was able to just like integrate himself there. They're doing some different stuff with him football wise that in Denver, he was primarily, he lined up on the defensive left almost exclusively. He was always rushing against the right tackle. This part's not going to be in the story, but um, I, I just found it really interesting because, you know, I've watched him, I've watched like every snap he's played since he was a rookie in 2011. And just to see all of a sudden, wait, he's on the defensive right. Like, what are they doing? And that's because Leonard Floyd is not really a versatile rusher. Like Leonard Floyd needs to rush from the defensive left. And so Vaughn feels like he can do a little bit better. Like he's probably better 
he's probably more natural rushing off of that side against the right tackle, but he can do both. So it's given them some flexibility that they can move him around. And then obviously when you have somebody like Aaron Donald in the middle of the defense, they've just been wreaking a lot of havoc. So yeah, I mean, he's played great. I think he's had seven sacks since he got to the Rams. He's had two in the postseason. He didn't have a sack in the NFC Championship game, but he had he had some good pressure. Like he was he was disruptive. And I think he, he, had, he got a quarterback hit late in that fourth quarter when they really had to kind of get after Jimmy Garoppolo to seal that win. So he's something I'm going to be writing, uh, watching, obviously, very closely. And if the Rams are to win, I've got a lot of stuff in my got a lot of stuff in my notebook for potentially a Von Miller Super Bowl night story. Yeah, Von Miller or Aaron Donald. Get back to your uh, the other for guy sure, you, you yeah. paying attention to. And it, we, if the Rams miss, win, so. we'll probably all be fighting over who gets to write about Aaron Donald. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be the case. Lindsay, thanks so much. I know it's busy down at Radio Row, and uh, you look like you're having a blast. But uh, we'll talk to you down the road, and uh, we'll catch up with you sometime after the Super Bowl. Great. Thank you so much. Oh, great stuff from Lindsey Jones. She does a great job covering the NFL, one of the senior writers for the NFL, for The Athletic. And if you want to read that piece on Von Miller, it's actually a piece about Von Miller and Demarius Thomas, who we lost earlier this season, and, and how his former teammates are carrying on his legacy. You can find that in the link that Brian has put in the description here of this podcast. You can find anything by Lindsey right there or at theathletic.com. Thank you to Lindsey Jones. Thank you to Brian, my producer. And thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. We'll be off on Monday. We give everybody an opportunity to have their Super Bowl hangover on Monday. And then next week, back into Major League Baseball's labor negotiations. Also, Keith Law has put out his list of the top 20 San Francisco Giants prospects. All things we'll get into in the days and weeks ahead. And maybe all the baseball we have for the time being, some minor league baseball. Everybody enjoy the Super Bowl. Have a safe Sunday. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. Oh, oh!